kind of have one of those scary moments and you think, man, what, what if my number gets called, you know, and I have to stand before the Lord. And I had been thinking about that and still thinking about that. And to be honest, we should all in part keep at least an eyeball on eternity. We, we all should. We're all heading that way. It, it might behoove us to keep one eyeball at least on eternity. What, what if my number gets called? What if he calls me home to glory? These thoughts just playing over and over in my mind. And listen to Romans chapter 14 verse 12 says this. And, and let these words sink in this morning. It says, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Think about that for a moment. Every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Each and every individual in this room, even outside these walls, saved or unsaved, Christian or non-Christian, black or white, does not matter. Every individual on this planet who has ever existed will stand before the Lord and you will have to give an account of yourself to God. And understand, when we stand before the Lord, understand who He is. He is the creator of this universe. He's the one that created light. He's the one that created the human brain. He's the one that created the eyeball in the ear. I, a while back, I sent this video to my friends about just a, a really neat video on the complexities of the eyeball and of the ear. And I, I sent it to a few buddies. It's so incredibly complex, these systems that God has created, that's the one you have to stand before. He's the one that created these things. He created gravity. He created the laws of thermodynamics. He created the laws of logic. This body of laws that governs everything that we know. He created them, spoke them into existence out of nothing. You have to stand before him and give an account of yourself. He created this solar system that we see and we observe as so orderly. We can predict comets 100 years from now because it's so orderly. All the organisms that we see in this diverse world came from the mind of God. I always ask myself, what, what kind of being must he be? What kind of mind must he have? Skunks, anteaters, you name it, antelope, donkeys, whales, amoeba. He created all these things, insects, birds, trees, soils, liquids, gases. All the elements on the periodic table came from his mind. What kind of God is this? All these things that he created, if, if they are so unbelievably complex, how magnanimous must be the one that created them all? What I'm getting at is it's kind of a big deal to stand before God. It's going to be a big deal. Not going to be like, just well, just another day. No, it's, it's going to be a big deal when you have to stand before this being that created all this incredibly complex stuff that we still don't understand all of our world that surrounds us. They came from his mind. You know, the Bible teaches us that Yahweh, God, is so holy that you can't just walk up to him and look at him and start trying to talk to him or you'll be slain. Do you understand that? When the presence of God descended on Mount Horeb, on Mount Sinai, when he gave them the law, God warned Moses, tell your people, don't come across this line or they'll be slain. Do you understand also, in their tabernacle system, if anyone tried to go bebopping into the Holy of Holies, you were slain. 
Only one person, the high priest, could go on. He had to be dressed perfectly. Everything had to be right. He could only go on one day of the year, the day of atonement, or you'd be slain. What I'm getting at is this is how holy this God is. Moses. Moses had to have his eyes shielded, his face shielded, when God's presence passed by him. So that he wouldn't look upon God. He only caught the, just the, the train of God, the Bible says, so that Moses wouldn't be slain. Because this God is so holy. It, it's going to be a big deal to stand before God. A real big deal. Take my word on it. Take the Bible's word on it. It's going to be a big deal to stand before this God that the Bible tells us about. Now, not only is it going to be a big deal that you have to stand before this creator of all things. But you have to give an account to him. You have to give an account to him. You, you Somehow, some way, you have to convince him that you're worthy of entering into his kingdom. Somehow you have to explain to him why you did what you did when you were in this life. You have to convince him that it was right. You have to convince him that your ways were good. You have to tell him that you were a good person that you lived on when you lived on this earth. You have to persuade him of how righteous you are. And how deserving you are that you merit eternal rewards. You, you can see why standing before God and giving account to him is a big deal. You're going to have to explain to him Listen to me, husbands. Listen to me, wives. You have to explain to him why you treated your spouse the way you did in this life. And you've got to convince him that it was right. You understand that? If, if you used people in your life to get ahead, to get what you wanted, to gratify yourself, you will have to give an account and tell God, well, this is why I did it, and this is why it was right, and you've got to convince him. Every one of us stands before God. You have to explain to God why you deprioritized him. Why you prioritized him. Why you believed in Jesus. Why you didn't believe in Jesus. Why you thought his word was important. Why you didn't think it was important. You're going to have to give an account. Well, this is why I never opened my Bible a single day in my life. And you have to convince them. Good luck. Convince him that it was right. You have to convince them why you loved money. Why you loved pleasures. You have to convince him that it was the right thing to do for you in your life. you got to give an account. An honest account. Now, some might think, yeah, but I'm a Christian. I know Jesus. When I get up there and I see the Lord, I'm going to waltz right through the pearly gates and all will be well. Wrong. Wrong, brothers and sisters. You will be laying prostrate before him and you will be unable to speak or to move at all. Because of his holy presence. And understand this. When his eyes are upon you, searching you, searching your heart, it's not like the eyes of men. Not like the eyeballs of mankind. When the eyes of man are on you, things can remain hidden. Truth can remain obscure. Things can be gray. Don't know if it's black, don't know if it's white. With God... Let's just say the truth will come out. Let's just say things will get revealed. It all comes out when God's eyeballs are on you. All of it does. All things are manifest before him. You cannot, you will not be able to pull one over on God. 
It all comes out. All your thoughts, all your motives, all of it comes tumbling out. Desires, your actions, your decisions, your intentions, your reasons, your causes, all of it comes out. All of it will be naked and open to God. You won't be able to hide a single thing from Him. Again, it's going to be a big deal when you stand before the Lord. A real big deal. To stand before and every one of us must stand before the Lord and give an account to Him. It's going to be a big deal to have the eyes of the Lord upon us. So, ever since my airplane turbulence, we were shaking around, it was a little bit scary. I was thinking of these things. Believe me, I was thinking of these things. Man, what if today, what if it's some sort of freak thing? Did anyone see? I think it was this week there was a passenger on an airplane. He looked out the window, and the wing, the wing was peeling off, and they had to emergency land. Anybody else see that? that? Now, they were okay, but that's what I always think. I always look out at the wings, make sure it's still there. And this, this stuff was peeling off on this individual's flight this week. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I don't think it'll hurt too bad if an airplane crashes. You'd probably be instantly vaporized. But it's the part after that I'm a little worried about standing before the Creator and, and giving an account, explaining to him why I lived my life the way that I did. That's the part that's a little scary. So this stuff keeps resurfacing in my mind numerous times. You know, that someday I have to go before him and, and explain to him my life. Now, I hope that you allow me to be a little retrospective this morning, okay? Hopefully it's okay for today's sermon, but I have prayed about this, and I'd like to share just a little bit of my journey with all of you. Share some of my heart, share some of my journey, and some of the conclusions I've kind of come to, and things have been reaffirmed, because when I go before the Lord, you know, I've if you start thinking about that, think about that for real. What are you going to tell God when you're laying before him in his presence and his holiness and his perfection? What account are you going to be able to give him? I, I want to go before the Lord with some definitive answers. I want to be sure about some things before I have to go and give an account. I want to make sure I know them, and I know that it's right, and I've thought these things through, and I've asked myself the questions. I've done the research and the homework. I want to give him some definitive answers. Because I want to take it seriously, because that's going to be the most important moment in your existence will be standing before God. So, most of you know this, I grew up in church, and it took me a long time to understand the gospel. Now, the gospel is actually very simple. But it takes a long time, at least it did for me, to understand this gospel message. You know, it can be difficult. If you grow up in church, it's hard to see sometimes. And it took me many years to understand the simplicity of the gospel. And one thing I did to my shame was I, I squandered many years when I was a young man. I was very immature and I squandered many of those years, especially with my education. But, thanks be to God, he has placed this yearning in me. I'm being serious now. He has placed this yearning in me to make up for lost time in my studies. He has. So I have been. 
Okay? Seek and ye shall find. Amen? I have been on this quest for God's truth. I'm talking about myself now. I have been on this quest for God's truth to know God, to know his word, and to understand the world around me as much as I can possible to have some real answers so that when I stand before him, I can give him some definitive answers. Brothers and sisters, I have prayed so many times, not exaggerating, dozens, maybe hundreds of times. I have prayed that God would make my brain and my heart be like a dry sponge and that he would drip droplets from heaven, from him, you know, and he would teach me, that he would be my master, droplets of his wisdom to me, droplets of his way, droplets of his word, that he would help me to understand the Bible, that he would help me to understand life, that he would help me to understand God's way, and that my brain and my heart would absorb them all like it was a dry sponge. I've prayed that dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of times. And brothers and sisters, I can tell you, every time that I've had to moments to get my books out, my Bibles out, and, and do classes, or whatever I can get my hands on, I've been blessed. Some of the most wonderful moments of my life have been alone with God, and my books, and my Bibles, and, and the things that I can learn, that many times, I'm not exaggerating, many times, I've actually had to stop, because tears are flowing down my eyes, from the beautiful things that God will teach you. It's just, it's wonderful. Those are some of the most precious moments in my life. When one studies the word of God, sooner or later, I say this a lot to you, sooner or later, a piece to the puzzle will fall into place. You see God's word is like a big puzzle. You know, it comes to you, you don't understand it. You know, it's like a puzzle. You dump out a puzzle. It's all these pieces. You have no idea what it is, no idea to understand. You can't comprehend it. But if you put some effort into it, sooner or later, you might find a puzzle piece that fits. And when you find a puzzle piece that fits, you, you start to see God's plan of salvation unfold just a little bit clearer. And then you get a glimpse at the beauty of God's ways. And it is beautiful. Well, a while back when I, I started getting more serious with God, something told me, start studying the Word of God. Not, not just reading it like as a magazine or a story, but to study it, you know. Study it. Put, put the book underneath of a microscope. Test it. Question it. And see if it holds up. As part of my journey, and I, I hope this stuff doesn't bore you, but as part of my journey, you know, I've done all kinds of things, read all kinds of things. I like to read, but I found a commentary on the Torah. Now, I know Torah is not really a word we use, you know, being Americans in a Protestant church. But all that really means is the, the first five books of the Old Testament. That's, that's all that Torah is. It's word for word, it's exactly the same thing as we have in our Bible in those books. And I found this, and it was a study. It was a commentary. It's, it's volumes. It's very thick. And I started to read it. And I'm telling you what, I, I fell in love with it. I did. I, I love the Torah. I love God's law. I love God's Moses. If you're reading through your Bible, and you see any little phrase that says the law of Moses, or the law, or, or God's law, in Hebrew, it would have said Torah. That's exactly what it would have said. But I, I love it. I fell in love with it. Listen to the psalmist. I, I, I reflect with the psalmist this morning. This is Psalms 19, chapter 7. This reverberates in me. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, 
that would say Torah is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Truer words could not be said of God and His Word and the God's law this morning. Even though I'm not Jewish through my family lineage, I love the Torah too. I love God's law too. Actually, if you read in the New Testament and you're a believer... Bible teaches that you're grafted in, and that's part of your heritage too. I love that. I claim that. Now, someone might ask, what do you mean by Torah? You know, these first five books attributed to the writings of Moses. What do you mean when you say the law of Moses? Simply put, the law, the Torah, the laws of Moses, they are God's blueprint for living on this earth. That's really all it is. The laws of Moses are God's rules on how to live the right way. It's exactly on how we're to interact not only with God, but with one another. That's what Torah is. How we are to live. How we are to conduct ourselves as human beings on this earth. Torah teaches us how to live a good and ethical life that is acceptable to God. It teaches us righteous living. It, it, it is a map to human flourishing. It is God saying, hey, this is the best way for you to live. There is no other greater way for you to live on this planet. It will lead to freedom. It will lead to flourishing. God's law is how we ought to live. That's what Torah is. And I like to imagine, what if we all obeyed the Ten Commandments? Ten Commandments are part of Torah. What if we all obeyed those Ten Commandments? If no one stole, if no one lied, Imagine if no one murdered or no one committed adultery. Do you realize how many problems would be solved if we just obeyed the Ten Commandments? How much heartache would be alleviated? How much money would be saved? How much time would be saved? Do you realize the impact this would have on our world? There's not a single person in here who has not been negatively impacted by someone stealing or someone lying to you. Every single person's had something stolen or somebody lied to them. God's law says thou shalt not covet. You remember a while back we went over the Ten Commandments. You imagine if we all obeyed that one. You remember covetousness is the sin that you can't see. Remember it happens inside your heart. Someone steals, you can see that. If someone murders, you can see that. Someone commits adultery, you can see that. Those are physical acts, but if you commit adultery, it's hidden inside your heart. It's the sin you can't see. We allow these wicked things into our heart. It leads to the violation of the other commandments and the law of God. Do you understand? If, if we all obeyed, I like to think these things through. If we all obeyed God's law, do you realize earth would be like heaven? It would, it would be like heaven, wouldn't it? It would be great and wonderful. It would be like living on some sort of a utopia. It would be perfect. We'd, it'd be, it would be like living in the Garden of Eden before the fall. We would all be living in the most beautiful place that has ever existed on this planet with a tiger curled up on our lap, petting it. It would be wonderful, beautiful, perfect. There would be peace and harmony. There would be no wars, no fighting, no death and murder. There would be kindness and respect towards one another, towards our neighbors. Life would be beautiful as God intended it to be. It'd be wonderful. 
So I kept on studying this Torah, this beautiful Torah. Still am, by the way, not done with it. This design, really it's what it is. It's a design for life that God gives us for this wholesome way to live. And it does not take long to notice there's a problem with it all. There's a big problem, and it starts out small, but then this problem starts to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. On one hand, you see this, this Torah, this beautiful revelation from God on the right way to live, the moral way to live, the ethical way to live. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't covet. All these, this, on one hand, you have the beautiful revelation of Torah from God, but, but then the other hand, you, you see it doesn't match the reality that you live in. His law is just, pure, true, and holy. But, but then I look at this world around me, it's not just. It, it, it's not holy. There's injustices. In many cases, the wicked are in charge and rule and prosper. There's death, there's fighting, there's wars, there's hate, there's division. So, so I see here this beautiful Torah, this set of laws. God said, live like this and everything will be perfect. And that, but, but I see it, it doesn't match the reality in which I live in. There's a problem with the entire system of the law. I mean, read your Bible. It doesn't take you very long to realize no one's able to keep it. No one. Even all the biblical heroes can't keep the Torah. I love God's law, but I see it is not the world in which I live in. It is not. I want a world, I desire a world where we don't steal and lie and kill and murder and commit adultery. I want a world like that where we keep God first and we keep our neighbors as our, or love our neighbors as ourselves. But read the Bible. They couldn't do it. They can't do it. All the Bible heroes couldn't do it. How about Abraham and Sarah? Very prominent couple in the Bible. They're, they're good ones, right? Nope. They weren't able to do it. How about Jacob? Nope. Not him either. How about any of Jacob's 12 sons, the children of Israel? Nope. They weren't able to keep the law either. How about Moses? One of the most prominent men in the Bible. One of the most prominent leaders in the Bible. The Jews consider him the greatest prophet. What about Moses? Nope. What about Aaron, his brother, the high priest, the first high priest? Nope. What about Joshua, who comes after Moses? Nope. He couldn't keep it either. Well, okay, okay. What about the times of the judges? What about people like Samson? Nope. He couldn't keep it. Okay, what about the times of the kings? The, the, the King Saul? No. King David? No. King Solomon, no. King Rehoboam, no. No, no, no. No one can keep this beautiful Torah. This problem starts out small. But the more you look at it and you study Torah, the more glaring the problem becomes. Yes, God's law is good. Yes, it leads to righteousness. Yes, it leads to a good world. But humanity is unable to ascend Unto the Torah. Now, then you can see all these biblical characters are unable. And then you look within yourself. 
am I able to keep Torah? Can I keep God's law? What about me? I mean, let's not always pick on the, the biblical examples that fail at keeping the Torah. What about ourselves? Can I obey the laws of Moses in their entirety? What about me? What about the, the people that I see around me? What about my fellow countrymen, co-workers, neighbors? Do I know anyone that can keep this Torah? No, 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 no. I cannot. Yes, I believe in the law of God. I believe in it. It is the right way to live. We, we shouldn't steal. We shouldn't covet. We should keep God first. We should love our neighbors as ourselves. But I can't keep it in its entirety. Neither can you. No one can keep it. No one that I know can keep it. No one that I have ever known could ever keep it. The Jews to whom it was given couldn't keep it. The disciples couldn't keep it. The apostles couldn't keep it in its entirety. Do, do you see this problem? It starts out small, then it becomes more pronounced the more you go through your Bible. It becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. But the problem, brothers and sisters, is not with God's law. That's not the problem. The law is holy. The law is just. It's pure. It is the right way to live. The law isn't the problem. Plain and simply, the problem is it's the fallen nature of man that is unable to ascend unto God's law. That's the problem. Pure and simple, we can't keep it. We can't do it. I can't do it. The problem has nothing to do with the moral blueprint that God gave us. It's with our inability to keep God's law. I believe in it, but I can't do it. Therein lies the problem. Because it is the way that God has commanded us to live. You, I want you people to live like this. It's his design. It's his world. He created it. He gets to make up the rules. And these are his rules. The laws of Moses. The Torah. I want you people to live this way. Now remember how we started this service out this morning. Each one of us has to stand before God and give an account to God. And try to convince him of how good we are. What if, what if he asks you, son, daughter, did you keep the whole of the law? I gave you a blueprint to living. I told you the moral way I wanted you to conduct yourself. I gave you the rules. Did you keep them? What are you going to tell them? What are you going to say to them? And remember, this is God you're talking to. So, you keep studying through your Bible. And you see this glaring problem the Torah is beautiful, but there's this giant glaring problem that keeps manifesting itself in, in studies. But in my studies, especially in my Old Testament studies, especially in the Torah, I began to hear like this faint whisper. When, when you see this problem, you... You see it gets worse and worse and worse. And you look at the beauty of Torah and you look at reality and you're like, they, they don't reconcile. And then in the midst of that, in your studies, you hear a tiny little whisper. Jesus, the Galilean. 
And it starts just as a little whisper. So I kept on reading and studying. And I saw and noticed that all these biblical examples, they can't keep the commandments either. You see all these wonderful heroes of the Bible, but they're all flawed. There's all something wrong with them. They all fail in some sort of regard. And the whisper gets a little louder. Jesus, the Nazarene, the, the one from Bethlehem. And then you keep going in your Bible. You keep studying in your word. And you start to see these typologies of a Messiah all interwoven all over the place, actually. All over the place in Torah, in the Old Testament, in, in the Psalms, the writings, the, the major prophets, the minor prophets. You see these typologies. I, I think of Abraham and Isaac in this typology there. I, I think of Noah's Ark. How this ark was the savior. I think of the Passover. Where they had to put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. I see these people. The, the people of God passing through the Red Sea. Coming up out of the water. And you start seeing these typologies. This Moses even. Moses himself. This man that goes between Yahweh and the people. And teaches them the word. You see this tabernacle system that they set up and the blood that they would sprinkle on the mercy seat where God would meet with them. Then the, the scapegoat. I actually preached on the scapegoat years ago. The high priest, would they would take this, this scapegoat and they would place their hands and they would pronounce the sins of the people on this scapegoat. And then the whisper starts turning into a voice. Messiah, Messiah. Are you starting to see yet? Are your eyes opening? Messiah? And then you continue your studies. And you push forward. And you start to see things in the prophets. Like this in Isaiah 53.5. He says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquities of us all. And another puzzle piece falls into place. And that voice that used to whisper, Jesus the Galilean. It starts turning into a shout. Jesus, Yeshua, do you see him yet? Son, you asked to learn. I'm teaching you. I'm showing you. You wanted to understand my ways you wanted to understand my bible i'm teaching you my ways then more dots start connecting and you realize that the bible is trying to offer you a solution to this giant glaring problem with the torah it's trying to solve this problem i i think the bible's trying to tell me i need this savior i need this messiah I've already looked within myself. I've already looked at the biblical heroes. I've always looked at all the people around me, at the world I live in. It's fallen. It's broken. No one can keep it. Who, who can? Is there someone who can? I need some sort of sinless blood sacrifice to atone for my inability to keep this wonderful law. The solution is not found within me. The solution is not found within my ability to live ethically. It's not found in my ability to ascend to the Torah. 
I need, we need, humanity needs some type of sacrificial payment from someone that could obey the Torah. Anybody coming to mind? Is there anyone that comes to mind who fulfilled the Torah? Does, and I ask myself, does any other religion present an individual that can offer me the forgiveness that I need? I would admit I violated the Torah. I've broken it many, many times over. I have failed. I accept that. I confess that. But, but I need to solve this problem because, remember, we've got to stand before God and give an account. I don't just want to go and say, yeah, Lord, I messed up. I screwed up. I acknowledge it. Your way was right. Sorry. No, 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 no. This needs reconciled before you get to him. Does any other religion, any other world religion present where all my studies are, are pointing to this Messiah, to this, 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 this man, someone who was perfect, someone who was a sacrifice? Is there any other religion that offers me this forgiveness? I need? Does, does Buddhism present this Savior-like man? No. Does Hinduism present this Messiah, this Savior-like man? No. Does Islam, does Islam offer a sacrificial atonement for my sins? No. If there's one thing, brothers and sisters, that I've learned by studying the laws of Moses and the Old Testament, it's this. It's incomplete. It is incomplete. It needs a part two. God, you can't do me like this. You can't give me these beautiful set of rules that I know they're right. They're written in all of our hearts. We know that it's not right to murder each other and steal off of each other. It's the moral code written within us. We know your law's right. I don't question that. But Lord, you can't do me like this. You can't give me all this beautiful, wonderful law. And then after that, a whole bunch of examples of people that couldn't keep it. That's really what the Old Testament is. It's his law descends at Mount Sinai. Moses writes them all down. And then from then on is a story of failure after failure after failure after failure after failure. And you come to the end of your New Testament and you're like, there's there got to be a part two. There's got to be a part two. There has to be more to this story. You can't leave me here like this. Then you can come to your New Testament. There's a New Testament. And it tells us about this God-man named Yeshua, Jesus. He was the, the hypostatic union of one person with two natures. A divine nature and a human nature. Eternal God and perfect man wrapped up in one person, Jesus. He descended to earth, fulfilled the law, fulfilled the Torah, and then willingly laid his life down as a blood payment for the sins of those that would place their faith in him. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Brothers and sisters, my studies of the law, my studies of Torah, 
I've taken classes on how to understand the Hebrew writers because they wrote differently than we did. We don't, we don't write modern literature. It's nothing like the way the Hebrews wrote. It's difficult to understand. Flip to some of the prophets. You'll read it and say, what in the world? It's very difficult to understand. I've taken classes on whatever I can get my hands on to help me to understand. And I'm telling you, everything that I have studied, commentaries, everything that I've read in my word and asked the Lord to help me to understand, all of it points to Jesus Christ. All of it does. And you know what it does when you start understanding your Old Testament, how it points to Jesus, what it does is it makes you cling really hard to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're like, Jesus, I got you, and you ain't getting away. All of my studies point me to Jesus, Yeshua. Yes, I know God's law is pure, holy, and just, but I don't have the ability to keep it the way that it should be kept. And this God-man presented in the Gospels and presented in the New Testament did keep it. He did. And he sacrificially died on my behalf to atone for my sinful nature. You remember what Jesus said when he was on the cross right before he died? It is finished. To tell us, die. It's finished. The problem's solved. It's solved. The problem of Torah is solved in the man, Jesus Christ. And now, brothers and sisters, when I stand before the Almighty God, I don't have the futile mission of trying to convince Him how good that I was. I am covered under the sacrificial blood. Of one that is innocent and righteous before God and was able to ascend to Torah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I believe in that with all my heart. With all my heart. With all my heart. We ask the band to make their way back. Just a little bit more, church. A little bit more. We talked about this a little bit last Sunday night in our Bible study. Romans chapter 8 verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, what is it that we learned this morning that the law can't do? It can't make me righteous. It can't make me live clean. It can tell me how to, but it can't do it. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Brothers and sisters, all of my studies on my journey, which my journey is not over. I will continue to study and be a student of the word until the day I drop over dead. But all of my studies on my journey thus far have led me to Jesus the Messiah. Do you, you understand other religions do not present someone like Jesus. They don't. Nobody. Actually, if the other religions are honest, they all try to get a piece of Jesus. They do. They all try to get a little piece of Jesus. He's in the other religions. They want a little part of him. There's no one like Jesus. The whole entire thing points to Jesus. The more 
I understand his law. Some may ask, Jason, you always preach out of the Old Testament. Why do you always preach about the Old Testament? You're always talking about Exodus. You're always preaching about Genesis. I've probably preached a dozen messages out of the first one, two, or three chapters of Genesis. Why are you always in the Old Testament? Because it is his law that brings me closer to Christ. The more I can understand the law and my inability to keep it, the more it drives me to the Lord Jesus Christ. It shows me the necessity of the Savior, Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua. And the more you understand who Jesus is, the more you start to see God's plan. The more you start to see the way of salvation. And, and, and this beautiful masterpiece starts emerging out of the Bible. And the beauty of God becomes visible. Church family, listen to me. Can we stand this morning, please? Can we stand? Now listen to me, church family, I mean this, Jesus did what I cannot do, keep the Torah. I cannot, and he did it. I confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. I confess that he was sinless, he was crucified. And he was risen by the power of God. And when you realize the truth of that, you have found salvation, brothers and sisters. Salvation. Hallelujah. Will you allow me to pray and then the band will worship and we'll open these altars. If there's anyone here that does not know Jesus, come and know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to take you on this journey. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the beauty of the laws of Moses. They're beautiful. Your way is beautiful. Your design is per perfect. The plan of salvation is wondrous. And it emerges to any who, who truly seek, Lord. Because the Bible teaches us, seek and you will find. And I know there's many of my brothers and sisters in here that have been on this same exact journey and they've come to the same conclusions that all of it points to Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, bless our time of altar. Bless our worship, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Church, this altar is open. Let's worship God before we go. Hallelujah.